friend was broke. She didn't know what to do or where to turn. I'm Nora Ellen. The reason I began this podcast called Women Starting Over is to help women like my friend who find themselves in financial hardship like divorce or lost their job or went bankrupt or maybe, sadly, their husband passed away. You will love these real-life stories of my guests of how they went from being broke to hope to financial success. If she can do it, so can you. Here we go. Welcome back to Women Starting Over. I have an incredible influencer with us today. She is such an amazing motivational speaker. I heard her on TED Talks talking about the five points to happiness, and they were very profound. I am really impressed with her way of looking at life. She's a successful motivational speaker. She's talked all over the world. She's an author. She has another upcoming book, which is very exciting. And she is the mom of a young son. And it's so cool because when we were just talking about my introducing her, and she was saying that's really on her mind. I really respect that. Welcome, Stacy Flowers. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Stacy has over 28,000 followers just on Instagram. And what I like about you, Stacy, is you're so authentic. I've been watching your YouTube videos, talking about your finances. It's incredible. And of course, you have thousands of views on everyone. And I know you are so inspiring. Let's start with your history, which is mm-hmm. where I like to start with our guests and tell us about your life. Okay. Um, so we'll talk about my life as it relates to sort of my money journey. Yes. So um, what I like to tell people is that I'm my mom's why child. So I am the kid who couldn't do anything unless I understood why, which kind of translates into me being my mom's bad child because I just would do sort of whatever I wanted to do. And I'm dead in the middle of four girls. And so growing up, because I was my mom's why child, I did not, I was not aware of our financial state until maybe I was in my early teens, maybe like um, 12 or 13 when I got my first job. Um, but looking back on it now, I'm aware that we were really quite poor um, growing up. And I think one of the reasons why I wasn't aware that we were poor is because I was really obsessed with other questions about like life and, you know, why does Stephanie have this? And I didn't have that. Stephanie's my older sister and things like that. But um, I grew up really quite poor um, and I didn't get my first job until I was 12, I believe. I think I was 12 or 13. I got a paper route. That's good for um, you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was very exciting. Um, And then Prop, so, so 12 or 13, I, I'm going to go with 12 because I feel like I was just turning 12 because Stephanie was 13. And um, pretty much since I was 12 years old, I've been working. And uh, around the age of about 14 was when I started my first sort of entrepreneurial endeavor. I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial. That's kind of interesting how that makes into it because one of the reasons also that I didn't necessarily realize um, how poor we were growing up was because my mom was incredibly resourceful. And in her being very resourceful, 
now I'm understanding resourcefulness to be more of like an entrepreneurial thing. So while she didn't have official businesses until I was about 14 or 15 years old, she was always sort of like the neighborhood person that was either babysitting or cooking for, you know, different um, families or just doing different things like that um, around. And then my bonus dad was kind of like a handier person who would do things in the neighborhood as well. So there were these entrepreneurial things that were happening. Nothing very official, but just entrepreneurial um, sort of side hustle things that were always going on in and around my family. And um, when I finally got into entrepreneurship around 14, um, that's when I think my mom gave me a little bit more of like the concentration and sitting down and talking through money and the numbers and things like that. Um, But it was kind of exciting growing up as the middle child because I had two older sisters who I was able to look at their experiences enough and decide, okay, no, I don't want to do that or I do want to do this. And then I had a younger sister who um, I felt very excited about being a role model for her. So as it related to me, just like growing up in the way that I internalized what money would mean to me, it was kind of like having two examples go before me and my older siblings and then a very real desire to be a role model to my younger sibling. Um, drove a lot of that behavior. And then um, I actually became a mom when I was 17 years old and a senior in high school. And that shifted things dramatically because I was no longer sort of working as just this rebellious teenager who's trying to try her own course in life. I started to have to work because I needed to work. Mm-hmm. And I immediately enrolled in college. Um, on my first day of college classes, my son was three and a half weeks old. And Going into college sort of gave me a little bit of a reprieve from work because I was focused primarily on my studies and I used a lot of my student loans and scholarship money to really support me during that time. And I spent the first couple of years of my son's life primarily focused on um, academics and then just kind of cleaning houses as a little bit of a side business Mm -hmm. to make a little bit of extra money here and there. Um, And then around my sophomore, junior year, my sophomore summer, beginning of my junior year, that's when I started to do internships to try to really figure out what I wanted to do with my career and, you know, to really figure out who I wanted to be when I got older. And I really thought that I wanted to work in law. So I was interning at so many different law firms around my hometown. And by the time I graduated, I definitely knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. So although I had worked in law firms um, while I was doing interns, I also would like wait tables on the side, which I enjoyed way more than working at law firms. And when I graduated from college, unsure of the direction that I was going to take for my career, um, I started working at like nonprofit organizations just to kind of figure out what I really wanted to do with my life. Because I was clear that it wasn't the law, but I still knew that I needed to have um, some sort of income coming in because I was someone's mom and my son was about four. Five, well, he was five when I graduated because I took me five years to get my bachelor's degree. And that's like a big responsibility, you know, I'm. I'm going in very, very young, coming out at the traditional age, and I have a lot of responsibility, so there wasn't a lot of time to explore. But as much as I could, I did, and I eventually decided to go to grad school. In grad school, I got my degree in human resources, and that turned into me falling in love with the human side of business. Mm -hmm. So I had this entrepreneurial side since I was a kid, and then I fell in love with the human side, and then I did a lot of work on the training and development side. And I loved it so much that I started my first official company, like legitimate pay taxes on it. It was a boutique HR consulting firm. And I did that for a couple of years and then transitioned that into the business that I have now. That's kind of sort of my story growing up with a little bit of money work mixed in. So you have 
positive role models than as far as being entrepreneurial, you were encouraged in that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Okay. Which, and I love what you said, how you met the human side of with going through mm-hmm. the degree and it was all academic and tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I was interested in human resources as a master's degree because when I was sort of trying to figure out who I wanted to be after I graduated with my undergraduate degree in legal studies, I was working in different nonprofit organizations. And when I would go into the organizations, there, all the work that they were having me do was on the human resources side. It was like, you know, just grievances, um, needing to let people go, kind of giving people coaching support as that was happening training people on diversity, inclusion, or leadership skills, or soft skills, and I didn't know what that was called at the time. I just happened to, there was a nonprofit organization that I worked for, and it was um, a newer organization, maybe less than 10 years old, and because it was smaller, the CEO of the organization gave me quite a lot of liberty. They they looked at my resume, and they were just like, well, we like your personality. We think you would be a good fit coming to the organization and, and pointing out the things that we need to do better, and so I had quite a a wide range of just to pick and poke and prod at things. And so I did. And um, a good friend of mine at the time was like, oh, well, that's human resources. And I was like, really? I was like, well, what's human resources? And he was just like, well, it's the human side of business. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> and he was just like, you should get a degree in it. And I was just like, can you do that? And he was just like, yeah. <laughs> and so when I realized that you could get a degree, because I, I love learning, like I'm a student, just student to learning forever, lifelong student. Mm-hmm. Um, when I realized that you could get a degree, I was just like, oh, well, this will be perfect. This thing that I naturally love doing, I'm going to learn the theory behind doing it and doing it for organizations like this nonprofit and organizations as large as, you know, some of the more commonly known Fortune 500 companies. And um, so he was sort of like the first person. Um, he was in graduate school at the time, a really close friend, and he was the first person who put me on that path. And then when I got into graduate school and I really started study human resources and the breakdown of, you know, businesses are not all bottom line and profit. There are people who make that happen. (laughs) And if you don't understand the human capital of an organization, then you really don't understand what's going to improve your bottom line. So it just became this really beautiful blend of business and humanness and what that can mean for helping organizations to transform. And then that um, turned into my love of training and development because I'm like, well, if human beings are the most important part of business, then I want to make sure that they know how to do their job well. So mm-hmm. let me learn how to train them on soft skills or diversity or other issues that show up in a workplace because you have all these different people who come from different backgrounds coming together to try to achieve this one singular outcome. And um, I had a boss at the time. She was a wonderful mentor. Um, she gave me a lot of leeway. I think I've been very fortunate in my academic career and in my professional career to find people along the path who were who was looking for somebody with a, a bent towards asking why. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what I did. I, I tortured my mom in the beginning and then <laughs> I tortured my mentors with the question of why. And, and I would ask the question and that would turn into them just giving me full range to just explore and test and try things out. And um, my love of business and the human side of it sort of dispersed out of that. That's wonderful. And in our last episode with Suzanne, who she, now she's got a corporate job right now after she got divorced and then blamed the corporate ladder in a thoughtful way, she kept asking questions. So it is interesting. We kind of snuff the 
why when kids ask why so i'm glad your mom did not do that and you're still asking why mm -hmm. which is oh yeah how we need to learn and i've heard of two mentors already the one the gentleman that told you about some courses you could take with your interest and now your boss that's wonderful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the boss then yeah and then so once you graduated with that degree and it moved you more into the personal development that you're talking about and the mm -hmm. training. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, so after I got my degree, I worked in training and development for a large organization for a while. And while I was doing that, I still very much had my son. He was about eight at this time. And um, because I was the first person in my family to go to graduate from high school and then go to college, um, I knew that there were like great leaps and bounds that I would need to make in order to give him a really good foundation to sort of launch his life from. Mm -hmm. And so while I had a really great job working in the training and development department, I knew that I wanted to bring more wealth into my life and I wanted it to come in um, in larger amounts and a lot faster. And entrepreneurship had sort of been in the background of my life anyway, but I had never really taken it seriously until after I had earned my degrees. And I remember studying and reading about what is the fastest way to becoming a wealthy person? And at the time I was reading this book and it, it offered two suggestions. It was like own a company or own a natural resource. And I didn't, I couldn't see a path to figuring out how to own a natural resource like oil or, or water or electricity. <laughs> so I said, okay, if I figure out how to own a natural resource, surely I can figure out how to make this entrepreneurial thing legitimate since that's one of the fastest paths to wealth. And I really wanted wealth because I knew that that would give my son a greater foundation to live and launch his life from. So while I was working in the training and development um, department at an organization, I began to explore, well, what would possible businesses that I could start on my own based off of just my experience and gifts and talents that I had. And in the background of all of this, I've always loved talking. I've always loved telling stories. And a lot of my friends would tell me, you know, that I should be a professional speaker and even in college, anytime there was like an opportunity to, to like deliver a speech at a dinner or um, to speak at a capital campaign for fundraising dollars for the campus, I would always be the person that they would ask to come and speak. And, and this is all, you know, even as a kid in different church programs, I would always speak. So I never really wow. regarded speaking as a, a viable skill in the marketplace. I just was like, it's just talking. It's just telling stories. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just, it's just, I just like doing that. But at the time when I was really trying to figure out, well, how do I create wealth for my family? I started to look at that skill set differently because so many people had told me that it was a viable way to um, establish a business and, you know, use and serve people and so on and so forth. And so um, I still wasn't ready to really put myself out there as a professional speaker because I just there wasn't there wasn't a clear enough path about it. But I was doing really, really well on the training and development side. Um, in human resources. And so I thought rather than working for an organization, why don't I start a boutique HR consulting firm? So I started okay. a consulting firm and it was really great. I had some great people in my network. And so I got, you know, a handful of really great clients as soon as the door opened and I was doing really well. And my, my work in the consulting firm was to design training or excuse me, design leadership programs for organizations, online leadership programs. And so what would happen is, is I would go to these companies and I would pitch this leadership program that I had created or leadership curriculum that I had created. And I would pitch it to them and the company would be so captivated by my 
pitch that they would say, okay, well, we will take this online program so long as you are the trainer who rolls it out over the three to six months that it takes to integrate it within the company. So then I started having this, where my work was the idea of being behind the scenes of designing training um, programs. My clients kept asking me to be the voice of it and to come and be the speaker of it and to galvanize and, you know, motivate people and inspire people. And so I kept getting these microphones sort of, for lack of a better expression, shoved in my face. And I was just like, well, you know, (laughs) the organizations are paying me to design the training programs, but they are continuing to work with me because of how how I'm captivating an audience or or, uh, bringing their company to a a point of motivation and action in terms of getting involved with the training program. So what would it look like if I just took the skill set of speaking and just focused on that full time and just Mm -hmm. allowed myself to become a professional speaker? And I was very, very scared because, again, there just wasn't a clear path for that. And rather than just take the big leap from consulting to speaking, um, I found a coach, a speaking coach who was a professional speaker. And I just was like, you know, I want to understand this business before I take a leap. My consulting firm is doing well, but I want to understand this business before I take a leap. And um, he came on board as my coach and he coached me for about a year. And within that year, I closed my consulting firm and started working in my speaking company. And it was a big leap for me financially because with the consulting firm, I was I was trading hours for dollars, right? I would have a contract that was 80 hours to produce a certain project mm-hmm. and it would be this amount of, of, of payment. But once I became a speaker, I was then trading ideas for dollars. And it right. took me a little bit to shift my mindset around getting paid for hours for dollars to getting paid for ideas for dollars. But once I started getting compensated for ideas for dollars, that's when amassing larger amounts of money being able to create wealth, being able to really build something sustainable for myself and my son sort of came into my my uh, vision and idea. That's wonderful. I don't know that I've heard it the way you're saying it in getting paid for ideas for dollars. It's wonderful that you said you allowed yourself to end your consulting company to become a speaker and investigate that you did the right thing with getting a coach too, right? Mm-hmm. There's an, another mentor. Some mentors we pay and and some we don't, but I've had yeah. a coach or two in my life that's been life-changing for me. Oh, absolutely. I needed a coach because I was I had a gift for speaking. I had a, a knack for it. I love to do it, but loving to do something isn't necessarily the thing that makes it profitable, right? right. A coach is going to cultivate a raw talent and turn it into a marketable talent. And I think a lot of people have a lot of raw skills that they just haven't allowed to be developed or cultivated. And that's why it's not as valuable in the marketplace as it could be. And because I've been someone's mom my whole adult life, like I cannot afford to to try just off raw talent to make something happen. I knew well enough through my education that developing a raw skill set or a raw talent is the best way to go in terms of finding stability, finding profitability, finding sustainability in whatever it was that I was doing. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening to this and they're thinking about, okay, well, I do have a, a, a natural knack for this or a raw talent for this. A coach or a mentor is a really great place to go to get some refinement because it may be that the marketplace needs that skill or talent, but in its raw form, it's a lump of coal and your coach is going to turn it into a diamond, right? Yes, that's perfectly said, which is really true. 
And mm-hmm. no one is born a, a master, right? Even right. with a gift mm-hmm. or a talent, there's things we have to learn to refine, especially if you want to monetize it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that was the thing that my coach taught me how to do. He taught me how to monetize the gift of speaking. Um, and and, that, and that's, just, that's work, right? That is the mm-hmm. nuts and bolts of my business is figuring out how to monetize this gift. It's really true. And my recent coach said to me, you have to systematize before you can monetize with something that mm-hmm. I'm doing in my life with my coaching, actually. And uh, yep. which is what your coach taught you. And mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful well, that you're teachable. <laughs> well, what's, very, what's actually what's interesting is my coach didn't teach me that. So um, I guess I didn't really share this part of my story. So um, so I've been doing my speaking business now for eight years. And so the first four years of my business, so that first year I was with my coach and he helped me to really turn my raw talent into a marketable skill and so on and so forth. But he didn't necessarily teach me the business side of speaking. Mm-hmm. He taught me the, the, he cultivated that skill. Like he, he, mm-hmm. he refined it. He turned it into this thing. And so I was fortunate that the skill was so good that I was able to make money but the challenge was, is that the way that I was making money wasn't sustainable. And so then um, at the top of 2017, it was actually after I had done my, TED, I delivered my TED talk. I was sort of at the pinnacle of my speaking career. Being able to speak on a TED platform is, um, is, is often a goal for a lot of speakers because it validates that, you know, you have an idea worth sharing. Sure. But the TED platform doesn't typically like to have speakers on their platforms because they really want to focus on ideas and not just general motivation. So it's really an honor to be invited to do that and yes. among that you know that year i had also spoke for the first time on the continent of africa um i had spoken some central american countries like i just i really was just it was at the pinnacle of what would otherwise anybody's speaking dream would be the year following that i had a nervous breakdown wow. and i had a nervous breakdown in part because the way that i was doing my business and the way that i was using my talent just was not sustainable. Mm. Um, even though I was exchanging ideas for dollars, there were no other, um, I wasn't packaging those ideas in a way that if I didn't show up that day, they could still be sold or delivered, right? Mm-hmm. So it just wasn't a sustainable way. So in 2017, when I had the nervous breakdown, I wasn't able to work for a full year. Wow. And in me not working for that full year, I ended up having to close two companies that I had built within that, that time frame and I closed those two companies and then I spent all of 2018 and majority and at least half of 2019 rebuilding a new company and it was this new company that's still very similar work that I did in the previous two companies but what I did in the new company is before I really fully completely put myself out there I did the philosophy that your coach is telling you now which is to systematize before you monetize so now my company is so sustainable that even in the midst of everything that's going on this year, I haven't felt um, deep negative effect by that because the systems in my company work for me full time so that I can continue to generate the ideas to pour into the company to make it self-sustaining. So I had, I learned that systematizing before you monetize lesson in a very, very hard way because, because I didn't have systems, it added to the nervous breakdown that ultimately caused me to have to close the way I was running those companies 
and then rebuild and reestablish a new way to run a business. Wow, bless your heart. That's a restarting in itself. So you've had a few starting overs in your life, like yeah. many oh, of yeah. us women do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that's pretty good, too, with uh, putting your system in place. So now we're going through this interesting COVID thing, and mm-hmm. uh, which is a surprise for a lot of us. And how do we handle that? Because we've never been through this before. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. any thoughts about that to share? Um, I think so just in general, like as like just dealing with it as a human being, not necessarily as an entrepreneur or professional, but just dealing with it as a human being. And this is something um, that I've been speaking up a lot about recently is just this idea of surrendering control. I think um, COVID has come in and it's been the great equalizer of humanity. It has reminded us of our humanness and it's taken any sort of hierarch- hierarchy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's taking any sort of hierarchy out of our mindset. It's taking that away from us, right? Like we're no longer evaluating our status based on whether or not we get the corner office or we're no longer evaluating our status based on how many people, you know, saw our outfit today because we quite literally are not wearing clothes for other people. It's become the great equalizer. The person with the corner office and the person with the cubicle are both working from home. Um, the person who has on the designer clothes and the person who doesn't have on the designer clothes are both at home. So I think that um, the perspective that I've been taking from it is just understanding that this is a, a very unique time in history where everything has been equalized across humanity and we are no longer able to evaluate ourselves from the outside in. We have to evaluate ourselves from the inside out. And it's scary for us to go inward because we have spent so much of our life looking outside of us for cues about what's right and what's wrong and what we should do and what we shouldn't um, and what we shouldn't do. And for a lot of women, this is the reason why we end up having to start over because we've built so much of our life based off of outside perspective. I feel like Mm -hmm. COVID has come in and said, hey, outside perspectives don't matter anymore. All that matters is who you are on the inside, which ultimately ultimately means who you really are and figuring out how to express who you really are During this time, while it may be a little turbulent and a little bit shaky, it is the best decision. So if right now in COVID, the thing that's coming up for you is deep, soul-crushing anxiety, figure out how to sit with that and figure out what that anxiety is coming to tell you, right? Because a lot of, if we were able to go to work and we're able to do all of our normal things, we wouldn't even know that we were as anxious as we actually are. Or if what's coming up for you in COVID is like this felt sense of relief of like, whoo oh my gosh, so glad I don't have to go there anymore. It's like pay attention to that and figure out what relief is trying to communicate to you during this time. So rather than, um, you know, viewing it only from the perspective of what it's taken away from you, viewing it from the perspective of what it's bringing up for you as information to evaluate what choices and decisions that you want to make next. Um, And so when I think about that, I think about the path to that is surrendering this idea that you can control all the things. COVID has taught us we can't control anything. Um, or a lot of the things that we thought we could control, we just can't. Um, and surrendering that control and allowing yourself to understand that you're powerful from the inside out, not the outside in. And tapping into that power means acknowledging what you feel, acknowledging what you're thinking, acknowledging what you're, what you're seeing. A lot of families are at home now and they're having to see their children for who they really are. You know, I was talking to a group of friends and they were just like, you know, I didn't realize that didn't know my kids anymore and Mm. taking in that information not as a judgment about you 
right. but just this information that you can say, okay, well, do I want to continue to be someone who doesn't know my children because we spend eight to 10 hours apart every day? Or do I want to change the way that I interact with my family based off the new information that's coming in now? That would be my best advice is that COVID is the great equalizer for humanity right now and tap into that humanness, which is your thoughts and your feelings and your actions, evaluate them and make sure they align with who it is that you really want to be. That was beautifully said. I totally agree with you with that. And living alone, I've kind of had a different experience than watching my friends who are married and we've all found ourselves in this place in going, hopefully going deeper in who I am rather than let's medicate on Netflix or what can I do to entertain Mm -hmm. myself so I don't really have to be comfortable with who I am, maybe what I don't like that I would never try to examine, like you said, not criticize, but examine, okay, this is what's happening in my mind and heart, what what got me here, what can I do to to change that part of my life. And mm-hmm. this, it, it is, it's kind of bared us. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Cause you're just, it's just you. It's just you with you. And you're like, whoa, I didn't know that I felt this way about myself. Or I didn't know that I had these feelings. And I didn't know that my, the color on my walls made me stressed. I didn't know that. Um, I was talking to a friend and he had made mention. He was just like, you know, I paid, you know, $3,500 a month in a mortgage and we don't spend any time at home. And he didn't realize that his family didn't spend any time at home until COVID. And he was just like, I'm paying too much for us to just sleep here. Right. And so, you know, they're re deciding how they're going to do their home and sort of downsizing. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It, initially it's scary because it's like, Oh no, what does this mean? But it just, it simply means that you have new information, which means you get to make a new choice and, Making choices is what being human is all about. It's, it's it's just it's a beautiful thing if we allow it to be. That is absolutely true. And times recently, to me, have felt so intense compared to my other decades in my life, which I attribute to the fact that just like my clients, texting, calling, emailing meeting in person all these ways, messenger and hangouts <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, and being on social media. It's uh, changed things quite a bit. It used to be I only talked to my clients on the phone and then email came mm-hmm. around and things. I noticed my energy level. I, I think it really changed with the texting because my clients God bless them would text me day and night. And that's because I didn't set expectations for them or turn my phone off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So this has been a good time. And uh, with knowing about fear and I've, I've realized, gee, I have a fear of suffering that I never knew went so deep. And I just said, Lord, help me. God help me with this Mm -hmm. fear of suffering. And what, what do I do with this? How do I process this? So it doesn't overtake me and, lose my judgment, my joy in life, and my peace. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. What would you like to share about your TED Talk? You had the five points of happiness, Mm -hmm. and something about the TED Talk, maybe no one's asked you before, what was your favorite part of the experience, or something you want to share that maybe no one's asked Mm -hmm. you? (laughs) 
Um, well, I think the big takeaway from the TED Talk is that you're the average of the five people you associate with the most. And I just think it's really important that people understand that in terms of your happiness and your success, the people in your life matter. And this is something that I say to my friends, you know, we are born alone, we pass away and we typically do that and we're alone, but we, you know, we live to connect and making those connections dramatically improves the quality of your life. And I think the big takeaway that I would hope that everyone got from my TED Talk is this idea of choosing the people that you put in your life wisely. And that's why I sort of set them up with different roles is that there's wisdom in the people that you choose and that just because you are related to someone or you grew up with someone or whatever, doesn't mean that they have to be the people that you are investing the most amount of time with. And that the investment of time extends beyond physically investing time, something else that COVID has taught us, right? right. Who you invest your digital time with. Like if you are binge watching a series, know that that is affecting the average of your life. Um, and um, just understanding that I just want you guys to be conscious about that. I want you to be wise about that. I want you to choose wisely because if, if and when you choose to improve your life, just look around your life and, and shift those five people. And it doesn't mean that the other people in your life, you completely cancel them. It's just you just decide who you're investing time with strategically and intentionally. Right. And that's so important. One question I've been asking some of my guests that I've been thinking about myself is when you do want to be around people that are successful are where you want to go, how would you say going about finding those people when you talk about the five people in your life that are closest to you and you're going to kind of like birds of a feather stick together. If you want to Mm -hmm. take some greater steps and uh, be with those kind of people, how would you find them? Um, I would say, and this is something that I tell people often, typically a mentor finds you working and what I mean by that is that like, say you want to like, like a really big goal of mine, like I want to brunch with Beyonce. That's just something that I want to do. And, um, cause I really adore Beyonce and I have liked Beyonce since Beyonce was in her all girl group. And it's recently that I did a speaking engagement where Beyonce's makeup artist was another speaker. And so we were in the green room. And so now I am officially one degree separation from Beyonce, <laughs> right? Yes. But how did I go from just being this girl who admired Beyonce's work to now being in a green room with someone who touches Beyonce's face, right? That happened because over time, I intentionally kept continuing to do my work at the highest levels until it began to open doors that put me in rooms with other people who were doing work at the highest level. And so, like, even when I was sitting down talking to her makeup artist and I was just telling her, you know, about how Beyonce is such a role model. And she's just like, oh, my gosh, you're going to meet her one day and all this other stuff. It's just like when my friends tell me I'm going to meet Beyonce one day, that's different. But when Beyonce's makeup artist tells me I'm going to meet her one day, I believe her. <laughs> right. But I that happened because, you know, eight years ago when I made the decision to close the boutique HR consulting firm and go into a speaking business, I didn't do it haphazardly. I went out and I invested in a coach and that coach automatically gave me a different level of people that I was hanging around. And then, you know, when I worked on my business for those four years, the people that I chose to be around during that time continued to elevate me, right? So as every new season of my life was changing, I continued to seek people. Some of them I pay like coaches, like even now I have a coach. Um, Some of them I pay like coaches and some of them 
I just gravitated towards their work. Um, you know, I was recently invited to do um, to speak on the at the Rise Conference. And you know, when I think about the platform that Rachel Hollis has, you know, my platform pales in comparison to her platform. But she was able to find me quite literally working. She she's somebody who has a conference that she puts on every year, and she needs speakers for those conferences. But had I not been doing my work at the highest, best level that I could produce for the season of my life, my work wouldn't have been available for her to consume. Then if it wouldn't have been available for her to consume, she wouldn't have, you know, sent her people to reach out to my people to bring me to that particular stage. But that connection happened because I was willing to make the investments in myself, make the investments in my business, make the intentional choices about who I surrounded myself with up and until the point where I was just being invited into the room. But prior to her inviting me to her stage, I was already following her online. I was already, you know, implementing some of the things that she was saying as far as like what takes you from level to level. And I think that we often underestimate the simple things that people that we admire suggest and share. And I would say don't underestimate that. Look through your timeline on social media and think about, you know, the top two or three people that you're following and just write down the things that they keep saying to do over and over. I know on my platform, I'm always telling people to do a gratitude walk. And when you do yes. your gratitude walk, express gratitude for all that you have and all that is coming. That's, that's just, it's important because I believe that speaking over your life, you begin to create different things in your life. And so that's something when I'm drawing people closer to me, it's people who have already begun to implement things that I'm suggesting and saying. And so we begin to be like each other because you are actually implementing different things that I'm suggesting. So it's not always, you know, I need to get that that face-to-face meeting, right? Like I haven't met Beyonce yet, but because I'm doing my work consistently, because I'm showing up, because I'm implementing things that people that I admire suggest implementing who are levels above me, I am getting closer and closer and closer to being in a space where Beyonce and I will be sitting down and having brunch together. That would be, I hope, I'm hoping that that illustration makes sense. <laughs> that is outstanding advice. Absolutely. You said work at your highest level and then mm-hmm. be like the people you're following where you want to get to them. And I want to say that Beyonce would be so fortunate to meet you, Stacy. <laughs> I know you want to meet her, but you know what? She'd be very fortunate to meet you. And I absolutely Aww, love this interview. You. Yes. Usually when people post something that, oh, look who I met and I got a picture with them. And I said, oh, yeah, aren't they so lucky? <laughs> I always say that. Aren't they <laughs> so lucky to have met you? Oh, I love just, it. Thank you. Oh, Absolutely. What would you like to share with our audience? How uh, your website, anything you want to promote uh, that you have um, and so they can follow you? Yeah, absolutely. I am Stacy Flowers everywhere, all over the internet. And it's Stacy E-Y and flowers spelled like a bouquet of roses. And the big thing um, that I do a lot in my work is I talk about mindset. And so I have manuals. I have um, a money mindset manual. I have a business mindset manual. I have a self-mastery manual. I even have a 21 questions guide. Um, And all of these manuals or 21 questions guide, it's all about doing the inner work, produce the outer results that you really want to have in your life. And I would just highly encourage anyone who's just, you know, if you're thinking about your business or you're not um, experiencing what you want to experience in your just financially, especially right now with everything that's going on or 
you just want to do a, le- a little bit more inner work to just kind of go over there and take a look at those products and services and um, have at it. That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you for yeah. giving us this honor of hearing from you, Stacy. You are absolutely precious, and I totally admire you and what you've done with your life, and you are inspiring to all of us. So thank you for sharing on this podcast. Thank you. You are so, 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 so very welcome. And for our friend listening, if you have a story to share, please go to womenstarting.com. I finally got my website up and going. (laughs) And let us know your story. I'd like to hear your story and see if you would be a great candidate for our interview or just share it. I might be able to share it on social media and you can follow me on Women Starting on Facebook, Instagram. I'm getting those going, so there's not going to be very many followers. But just like Stacy, we all start somewhere. And uh, this is uh, something I do just in my own time. And I love doing it. So thank you, Stacy, And thank you to everyone. Bye bye for now. Well, my friend. Thank you for letting me be with you today. Please leave a review so that women that need help can find this podcast. I am Nora Ellen, your host. See you next time on Women Starting Over.